0: You're listening to The Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's the week of Sunday, June 19th, part 10 in our series, Romans, The Declaration. Aaron moves into Romans chapter 8 this week, talking about living according to the Spirit. He unpacks the meaning of the flesh, encouraging us to live in freedom from our animal appetites as a result of the power of God living in us. I'm actually going to try to quit preaching when I'm supposed to be done. Uh, I almost made it last service. So we have an incredible amount to cover in an incredibly short period of time. All right, so we are in our series on Romans, and last week we talked about Romans 7. The conversation that Paul has been having is about acts that lead to life and acts that lead to death. It's not about our moral code. It's not about keeping the rules. It's not about that. It's about the reality that as we live our lives, there are choices that lead to death and there are choices that lead to life. And we get to pick which ones we want to be known for. But that death or that life isn't just about us personally. It ripples out into everyone we know, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, um, I had the, the most interesting conversation between services with a gal at camp. She said, you know that acts that lead to life, act lead to death thing? She's like, I didn't get it at all. And then I sat on a plane with a lady who's a social worker, and she showed me in one person's family history how one choice led to a, a child that was negatively affected, that led to another, their child that was negatively affected, that led to their child, which was in the, comp, which was in the system. And they actually could trace it back. Like, acts that lead to death don't just affect you. They affect you and everyone around you and people generationally to come after you. It's also true with acts that lead to life. That's the good news. Like, it, that's the good news. But um, where we want to begin with today is, last week we talked about what it, where do the lies come from? Like, if, if it leads to death and it's death and we know that, then why do I want to do it so bad? Well, it's because... Sin lies to us and tells us that it's something that it isn't, right? And so we wind up going to the world for things that only God can can provide. So that's where the lies come from. And today, what we're going to start in chapter 8 is really the second half of that piece of the conversation. So the lies come from sin, and life in the Spirit is possible. Now, what in the world is life in the Spirit? That is one of those churchy phrases that I'm like, meh. So I kind of want to, I don't want to get all technical on you. Mm, Uh, I want to demystify this for us today. I want to make it like something that we can put our heads around maybe a little bit. And I want to begin with this statement. Your spiritual life is like a radio station. And what I mean by that is the more things that you do to orient your life around spiritual realities, the clearer it is to be able to hear from the Lord. Are you with me on that? So the static gets eliminated as as we do more, like do we spend time in the word? Do we spend time in prayer? Do we spend time with Christian friends? The, like, I don't want you to spend all your time with Christian friends because your non-Christian friends need to know about who your God is. But do we spend time being encouraged and strengthened and supported that way? Is that, is that something that we actively seek in our life? Or do we come to church on Sunday morning, and then that's pretty much the extent of our spiritual experience, right? The problem with that is, think about the math on this. Let's say that you got a phenomenal sermon on Sunday morning, hypothetically. Not here, but let's say you went to a church where you could get a phenomenal sermon. That's 30 minutes on Sunday morning there's 168 hours in a week, and you gave God 30 minutes in Sunday, on a Sunday morning. Is that going to work for you? Now, it doesn't mean that this isn't important. It means that this is important as well as other things. And when, so people come to me all the time, and they say to me, oh, I can't hear God, or God seems so far away, or I haven't felt God in a long time. And, like, one of my first foundational questions is, well, how long has it been since you read your Bible? Oh, it's been forever. Right? Like, This isn't rocket science. We're not not building a ladder to the moon here. This is simple, it's simple, basic, fundamental truths. As I orient my life around spiritual things, the spiritual piece of my life becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, more understandable. The less that I do that, the more static gets kind of into that zone. So the goal for us in living by the Spirit is to do things intentionally that help us in our spiritual life day in and day out, okay? So I wanna start with that premise. We're going to use Colossians chapter 2 as kind of a springboard here. This is the same conversation that Paul's been having over the last three chapters of Romans in three verses, uh, four verses, and I'm always about efficiency. So let's, let's talk about this. Obviously, you didn't laugh, so you don't know me. When you say, when I say I'm about efficiency, that is, that's funny, Uh, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is the same conversation that Paul's been having in Romans, right? If you died to the basic principles of this world, why do you act like you still have to obey its rules? Guess what? You don't have to obey the rules. You don't have to. These rules... yes, Freedom! These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look really smart. With their, NIV says, self-imposed worship, which is a terrible translation. King James actually translates this one really well. And if the rest of the King James section of this wasn't so brutal to read... I would have chosen King James for this section because it's the best translation. What it literally says there is not self-imposed worship. It says there will worship. This has the appearance of wisdom with their worship of the will. So when you say, my Christian life, look at me, I'm a Christian because I keep the rules. I keep all the rules, look at me. You are not worshiping God by keeping the rules. You're worshiping your own will. And your own will becomes God. And guess what? Satan is brilliant. He will break you. Like, it's not the first problem that he throws at you that's the issue. It's the 12, 13, 14, 15. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys have been like, yeah, I remember. I've been in that world. I am in that world, maybe. He will break your will. Satan's will is stronger than your will. So if you're worshiping your will as God, it will never work. Their false humility... You look humble, but you're not because you're worshiping your will, so it's all about you. And they're harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change what you long for. Are you with me? So you might be able to keep the rules, but you still want the same things. Well, what difference does that make? This is Paul's conversation in Romans 6, 7, and 8. So now he says... I have an answer for you. I got good news. I got an answer for you. Romans 8, verse 1. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? I just got an extra step on my Fitbit. Wait, better do it with my Fitbit hand. Uh. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Which we've been talking about all this. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering. Now let me tell you what he means when he talks about flesh. The Greek word is the word sarx. Say sarx. Say RX Sarks. What it means is what Paul is alluding to here is kind of your animal appetites, kind of the basic instincts of who you are. We talked about this last week. Like, why wouldn't the snake be a good candidate to rule in the garden? It's because he's only, he's ruled by his instincts. He doesn't have any ability to serve anyone other than himself. Right. So that's what he's talking about here. You don't have to be controlled by your instincts. You are not only human. Good news. We can awaken whole pieces of you that you didn't even know existed. It's pretty cool. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And for many of you at this point, you're going, but I do want the things of the flesh sometimes. So does that mean that there is no spirit in me? Because I want to, be, I want to have the spirit in me, but I want this flesh thing, and where, where am I? Listen to me the fact that there is a war going on inside of you to make that decision is evidence that the spirit is alive and at work in you. That's good news. <laughs> You're always like, woo, s- safe. If it wasn't alive and at work in you, you wouldn't care at all, right? You'd just be like, do whatever, do whatever I want to do. Be like this. Ne- never mind. I don't, I don't have time. Uh, You, however, are not of the realm of the flesh, but of the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, You guys are catching on. Pretty good. Anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Because the spirit that gives life is alive and at work in you, and that spirit is the same spirit that had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. If it had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, it probably has the power to deal with your issues. Because that's true, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Now, here's what he said. Remember, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Guess what? You don't have to obey the rules. And we all went, woo, party time, excellent, right? Problem. One of the, remember the evidences that the Spirit is working in your life? The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Spirit is working in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. So maybe we should have some. She says, screaming in church, self control. case in point. <laughs> so maybe we should have some. Are you with me? This, this removal of the rules isn't a license to do whatever we want. It's a license to allow the spirit to rule in our hearts. It's not about this, I can do whatever I want to. It's the freedom to do as we ought. And that's a totally different posture. Okay. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Which, there's a fun little conversation about that on our Footnotes podcast for the week, if you want to dial into that. Um, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children... And we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, so let's demystify the spiritual life. Remember, we talked about it's like a a radio station. I grew up in Montana. Um, In fact, I grew up in Libby, Montana, Uh, the asbestos capital of the world. And I still have my lungs. That's where I grew up. And uh, I, I, growing up, in, especially in western Montana, you know, there's a lot of mountains and trees and stuff. And, and the state of Montana does not have the um, setback rules on the highway for trees and stuff like that. And so it's all real close to the road. So what we all experienced growing up in Montana, all of us, our, my, personally and in our friends, is there's a lot of people who hit Deer. and and they kill them. And being a preacher, everything for me is a sermon illustration. So uh, one of the things that I find fascinating about deer in the middle of the night is you're driving, right, and your lights are bright, and all of a sudden you see these two little iridescent orbs, and they're on the side of the road, and you're like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Just take a step that way. What they do is they wait until you cannot break anymore, and then they jump, which is compounded in the wintertime because not only are you slowing down slower, but they're not made to move on ice. So they're, you know, boom. And I was like, man, deer seem to be so just stupid. Like, hello, they're big headlights right coming at you, right? Here's what, I, here's what the Lord gave me. <laughs> I just was thinking this one day. That's what Christian people say. The Lord gave me something. The Lord spoke, laid it on my heart. Uh, The failure of the deer is not that it fails to make a split second decision. The failure of the deer is that it chose to put itself on a path that would lead to it getting hit in the first place. Does that make sense? The problem is, so what we do is we put ourselves in positions in life where, like, we walk down this path, and we're going to make these choices. I mean, think about this. If an alcoholic knew the end of alcoholism, they would never take the first drink, but they don't know it. They just start putting themselves on the path, right? Right? And little by little by no, I'm, not, I'm not anti-alcohol, whatever. Like you're free in Christ. To do is your Holy Spirit convicts your conscience. So do whatever you want to do. But if you can't restrain, then stop it. Because it's wrong to not be able to have self-control, because that's a fruit of the spirit. Right? All you people that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carbohydrates. Um <laughs> <laughs> But what we do is we put ourselves in positions where we don't, like we're on this path, and little by little by little, we're being led down this trail to where all of a sudden our life becomes a train wreck. Boom! We got hit. Crisis. <laughs> what do we do now? And we cry out to God, and we expect that somehow God is magically going to um, give us something that we didn't have going into that situation. And so, like, for example, those of us, uh, and and some of those situations are choices of our own. Sometimes it's choices of other people that they made to us. Sometimes it's just tragedy, like when a family member dies or there's sickness, you know, cancer, something like that. Like, those those are all big ones, but we, in that moment, you don't have the power to walk it out if, you didn't already have the decision to breed spiritual life into yourself for days, weeks, months, and even years prior to that. Are you with me? The goal of living a spirit-filled life is found in the day in and day out. I'm going to have time with the Lord. I'm going to have time with the Lord. Right? So what we do is we go and we try to surround these people in tragedy, and we pray for this thing in the Bible called the peace that passes understanding. You know what I'm, like, you ever had those prayers? Pray, somebody? Anybody? All right, good. Two of you are with, with me. This peace that passes understanding, and, and what we treat it like is we treat it like it's this spiritual incantation, almost like a rain dance, where we speak the words and we pray the phrase. And listen, I don't have any problem with you praying for people in crisis to have peace that of passes of understanding. All I'm telling you is what we treat it like is like a, it's an incantation that obligates the gods to fulfill our magic trick. So we go into this thing and we're in a train wreck and we're all in crisis and we're freaked out. Pray for peace of passes understanding. You know, I feel like a million bucks. All of a sudden, as soon as you said amen, what, what the, right? Like, that's not how it works. If we haven't done the day in and day out work of being in God's world, tuning our lives to spiritual realities, then when the crisis hits, the only thing that's going to give us the peace that passes understanding is Valium. (laughs) Are you with me? That's not going to work. Peace that passes understanding, the spirit-controlled life happens because we take time day after day in the mundane routine of life to orient our life around spiritual things so that when the crisis hits in your life, not if, when the crisis hits you in your life, and it will, you're already prepared, and, and people look at you and go, man, you should be freaking out, but you're not. And you're like, yeah, I know, I, I can't even, I can't even describe it. I don't understand what's going on. I just, I just feel like God's got it. That doesn't come from a crisis moment decision. That comes from a life that is oriented around who God is. Are you with me? So, we miss out when we were like i'm in the crisis now and so i pray and it didn't work and so where's god i don't see him i don't feel him i don't whatever now for some of us we didn't know that until today for some for some of us in here we're just like i didn't i never i never thought of that like that's and for some of us we knew it, but we weren't doing anything about it. So what if I'm in, the cra- like I'm in the mess now? Like, that's great for future, and I will do better at orienting my life around spiritual things, I will, but I'm in the mess now. What do I do today? It's interesting to me that your spiritual life spiritual exercise and physical exercise really mirror one another. They really do. And so I am going to use an illustration from Lifting Weights that obviously I'm qualified to talk about. (laughs) Just work with me. I am currently 42 years old, which means that in my life, I have had a lot of opportunities to decide to get back into shape. You, you guys know, you adults, you know what I'm talking about? We're gonna get back into shape, which I struggle with because round is a shape. And <laughs> why pear is a shape? It is, and I why do you have a problem with that? Why do you have a problem with my... I don't need to get back into shape. I am in a really impressive shape. <laughs> so back off. Carbohydrates. I, go, I got to go comfort eat now. You've, you've heard, my, heard my feeler, my one feeler. Uh, so we go into the gym. We're like, we're going to get back into shape. And we go into the gym, and we go, if you're a guy, you're going to go lift weights, right? Because we're going to get, you know... Sh- Where's the needle and thread? Because I'm ripped. You know, we're going to get ripped. And like, the one, I'm going to lift weights one time, and I'm going to get, no, you're not going to get ripped. You're going to get sore if you lift weights one time. That's what's going to happen, right? So I always want to start where I left off. So the last time that I got in shape, because I am an exercise bulimic. I binge and purge. Um, And I don't just, I don't just you know, casually work my way. And I'm like, I'm going to get into shape again. Let's run a marathon. That's what I do, right? So I train for a marathon. So if I'm going to lift weights, like I'm going to lift weights. It's, that's the way my brain works, which has an upside, but it does have a real downside as well. Um, sore. Uh, so I go in and I I've worked out, I got into one of those phases where I was getting back into shape and I get pretty strong, right? And then I quit and I go eat and watch Ultimate Fighter or something like that where they're in shape and I watch them be in shape. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that anytime I wanted to. Cookie, you know, (laughs) I can, whatever, whatever. So I go back into the gym. I feel bad. I'm like, I got to get back into shape. So I go back into the gym and I want to pick up right where I left off, right? So I put all that weight on and I'm like, I cannot move it. All right, you guys know this. So I have to back up. I have to back up and and start where I can lift and then start working out again, okay? And I get stronger. The more I work out, I get stronger. But it takes time, and it takes intentional effort, and it takes a decision to sacrifice other things to be able to do this. That's what it takes, Your spiritual life is exactly the same way. Let's say that you could only lift a 50-pound weight. For whatever lift, pick the lift. I don't care. But you can only lift a 50-pound weight. That's all you're strong enough to lift. And you're willing to work out with that weight, but 50 pounds is all you've got. It's all that I have in me to lift, right? That's it. Let's say you walk into the gym one day and all there is is 150-pound weights. This is the way life treats us sometimes. Like if we're not intentionally in the habit of spiritually working out and getting stronger, you you probably could lift a a 50-pound spiritual issue. But when a 150-pound issue comes, what are you going to do? Like, yes, I get it that i got to work out. I've got to orient my life around spiritual things. I've got to do this. I I get it. I want to do that. I'm going to do it. But I'm in a crisis today, and it's a big one, Right? What do I do right now? I can't lift this weight. This tragedy happened, this whatever it is. And those things do happen in your life. They do. Even if you work out all the time spiritually, you'll still face tragedies that are more than you can lift. We all will. So what do we do? If you're only capable of lifting a 50-pound weight, And the weight is 150 pounds. You can't ask God to make the weight smaller. It is what it is. And when you're in the midst of that crisis, it is real. The only way for you to do it is to have someone else help you shoulder that load. You gotta tell your story. You've got to talk to people about what's going on. The only way for you, and we spend so much time trying to be, look fixed, right? Like we spend so much time trying to look like we got it figured out. And, and I, I'm just gonna tell you, you don't. I don't. We don't have it all figured out. And we, but but we, don't wanna, we don't wanna look weak. We don't wanna look like, look, look at me, I'm, I'm strong. And so there, there are people in the gym, when you go to the gym, there are people that try to do this. They try to give off the impression of being stronger than they are. And they do it a couple of different ways. There's the, there's the people that, like the screamers, they, when they're lifting weights, ah, you know, like, oh, you're so strong and loud. <laughs> and be quiet because it's creeping me out, right? Like you, there's ah, there's those people, right? Then there's the people that are like twiggy and they, they're like, walk, you know, walk around like this. In, the, <laughs> in front of the mirrors, and they're like. <laughs> then they go grab a, like a 15-pound weight. <sighs> <sighs> you know, they're all intense, but they're like, you weigh 10 pounds. Like, you can't. So they, give, they want to give off the appearance of being strong, but they're not. Right? They're not strong. And you know it. You know it. Listen, spiritually, it's the same thing. There's a whole lot of people that want to give off the impression of being strong, but they're not. And it's okay. It's not okay to stay there, but it's okay to be honest about where we're at. If you're in a situation that is beyond your spiritual capacity, you need to have people help you shoulder the load. Now, you don't tell your story to everybody, because that would be dangerous, right? I, I may only be able to lift 50 pounds, but sometimes I tell my story to people that can only pick up 20 and that's not okay. Now, you gotta, if you can only lift 50 pounds and you gotta pick up 150 pounds, would you rather have a bunch of people that can only shoulder 20 pounds or one person that could actually lift 200 but they're gonna help you shoulder that 150? Does that make sense? Like who you tell your story to matters but we all gotta tell our story to somebody because those situations happen that are beyond our capacity to be able to lift it on our own. They just will And so if we're going to have a life in the spirit, what we're going to have to decide is that we're going to be willing to do the daily grind, the daily commitment, the daily routine in and out, day after day of doing it, being in time with the Lord. Bible reading, prayer, orienting my life around spiritual things. Maybe it's about spending time with Christian friends and intentional conversations. We've got to commit to that. If you won't commit to that, then don't be stunned when you don't see God at work around you. God's at work around you all the time, everywhere, but we've got to be dialed in enough to know it. Are you with me? We've got to be dialed in enough to see it. So there's that piece, but all of us, no matter how much work we do, are going to find moments where situations happen that are beyond our capacity to shoulder them alone. It just happens. We've got to be willing to tell our story so that other people can help us shoulder that load. And over time, two, three, four years down the road, maybe we'd look back and go, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't need help for that same situation today. That's good. That means you've been working out. But until that day comes, tell your story. Tell your story. allow people far enough into your life to help you shoulder your load. It's transformative. And this is key to life in the spirit. God gives you access to more power than you ever thought possible. Some of it is through his spirit working and changing you. Some of it is through his community acting like God and helping journey that load as well, right? Right? So we're going to take communion together. And and, um, so those of you that are serving communion, go ahead and get back and get that set up and and we'll start passing that out. If you're new with us today, we have what's called an open table. And what that means is, uh, if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we would invite you to take communion with us. Now we're going to uh, hold all the elements till the end and we're going to take it together. While they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications to this sermon, implication number one: living according to the Spirit means living in freedom from fear and condemnation. You are free; you don't have to worry about failure any more. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Mic drop. I mean, that's awesome. Another implication: we are under no obligation to our sarks, our flesh. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to the world of attention deficit. What was I talking about? Uh, we are under no obligation to our sarks. We are free to say enough and walk in the spirit. You don't have to walk out of here playing victim to the same things that you walked in here playing victim to. You do not have to do that. Next implication. The fruit of the Spirit includes self-control. So you're free, but if you're really allowing the Spirit to work in you, self-control is going to be a part of that process. It's not just freedom and I can do whatever I want. That's not allowing the Spirit to take root in my life. There are still things that I'm going to say no to. Because... Those things lead to death. Last implication. This isn't the result of your amazing willpower. It's the result of the power of God, the spirit breath, the wind of God living in you. The very breath of God lives in you. And because of that, you have the power to take control over the situations that seem to kind of get the best of you. And that's awesome. Now, for some of us, those things are big. They're uh, tragedy, travesty, um, circumstances that are rough, they're whatever, they're uh, emptiness, unfulfillment, wh- whatever. Like there's some big ones. For some of us, we need to start looking to accidentally to death much more close to home. Uh, how much time we spend on the TV. Or on our phones. The, I had somebody in first service say, you blew by that one too quickly. So let's sit with that. How much time you spend on your phone? It's an idol. It becomes an idol. Uh, you know, for some of us, it's about laying down big things. For some of us, it's about the food that we eat. And, and I'll, just, I'll just say this. like gluttony. Is an accepted sin in our culture, and we don't talk about it. It is, do you know, what the definition of gluttony is. The definition of gluttony is any time that you put food in your mouth just for the taste of it. It's not about overeating necessarily, although overeating would be one of the ways that we do that. Obviously, because you're eating past the fact that you're hungry, so you're just putting it in just for the taste. It's not about being big or small, uh, skinny or fat. It's not about any of that. It's not about any of that. It's about any time that I choose to put food in my mouth just for the taste of it. So how we doing, ice cream eaters? Oh, man. Right? Did we change the game? Chocolate cake? Did we change the game? Listen. I'm not saying to make you feel bad. What I'm saying is what we've got to do is take seriously what it means, this life in the spirit thing. Like it's every piece of our being. It's every piece of our being. It doesn't mean you can't ever have anything sweet. I'm not saying that. But make sure it has some nutritional value. Like my, my son this morning was eating a Twinkie. I was like, I cannot think of one nutritionally redeeming thing in a Twinkie. Like the good news about Twinkie is you're going to die when you're 35, but your body will never rot. You will, you so, loaded, so loaded with preservatives, right? Um, we got to take, uh, and I'm just, I mean, that's just one thing in a list. And that happens to be one of the issues that I personally struggle with. Like you guys, the good thing about me living my life in front of you is you get to experience my my journey with my own issues and food happens to be one of them. Like that's a big deal for me. It's real close to my heart. Uh, It is, it, it does become an idol for us and whether or not we're skinny or heavy has no bearing on whether or not it's an idol, right? When we choose to do it beyond, to ask food to do something for us beyond what it should be doing for us. Okay? It's simple things, These acts that lead to life, it's these little decisions day after day after day to where you get to the point where when crisis comes, you're like, I I don't like this, but I can stand up under it because of what Jesus is doing in me and what he's been doing for years. Jesus gives us an idea, a real clear picture of what life in the spirit looks like it looks like us laying down our own life for his sake. What he said is, if you'll give up your life, you'll find it in the end. What that means is, if you'll keep trying to let go of the fleshly things, then in the end, what you're gonna find is a version of life that was way more than you ever could have imagined. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about life today. More peace, more wholeness, more fulfillment, more rest. But we've got to be willing to let go of that stuff. We've got to actually be willing to actually let go of actual problems. We've got to lay our life down. That's what communion really represents for us. It's a reminder that Jesus laid his life down for us, so we choose to also lay our life down for him because it tells the world a particular story and because it helps me fulfill the thing that I was created to do. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body, given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we just want to say that we haven't forgotten, and that we thank you for your grace, God. We thank you for the way that you provide for us, for the way that you never give up on us, for the encouragement to live a life that is more than what this world says it has to offer. Lord, we um, we just ask for the strength and the courage to walk that out well in a way that represents you for who you really are. Thank you for loving us, God, in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback about this message, please email comment at liferotp.com. One more quick reminder about the Global Leadership Summit coming up August 11th and 12th. Early bird pricing ends June 28th. So make sure to visit liferotp.com GLS to get the best rates on this life-changing jumpstart for your leadership skills. Romans, The Declaration will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.